Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The message is simply entitled, The Gospel. Paul the Apostle, as you know, he wrote the epistle to the Romans. And that's the heart of it. And these two verses in the opening chapter, he takes them and he expounds them throughout the book of Romans. It is the good news of God that man cannot be saved by any way apart from the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. He makes no wiggle room for it. He makes no excuses for it. In fact, he is so bold in this uh, opening verse that it captures the spirit of the entire book. Listen to the two verses. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. And he's quoting Habakkuk 2.4. He's quoting the Old Testament. Remember when uh, Paul is writing um, the New Testament, and he wrote the majority of it, um, they didn't have a New Testament. It was Old Testament. That's all they had. They had the scrolls of the prophets, the law, history and all that, uh, these letters that Paul is writing and John and Peter and these guys are being sent out and it's the New Testament being put together. Now, by the time we get to the end of the first century, the, the New Testament was put together. Now, the councils of the church came later on and confirmed them and all that, but they were already in existence. The last book to be written is the book of Revelation um, by John, about 95. So, if you really look at the um, information of the Gospels and the epistles, in terms of relativity of time, Jesus was crucified by 32. So you're talking about within 65 years, the New Testament was already in existence and had been going on transforming people from the very first day that Jesus came to from the very first day of Pentecost. It had nothing to do with the culture of the day, had nothing to do with the philosophers of the day, had nothing to do with the powerful Roman Empire of the day. Had everything to do with what God had done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the first thing here that he declares is that Paul's commitment to the gospel is that it is honorable. In the very first phrase, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It means that it, he didn't think it less than the philosophies of the day. He didn't think it less of the schools of thought of that day. In other words, he thought it to be supreme and authoritative over everything that existed in the culture. This is the constant pressure and tension by which Christians live under. You, if you're a Christian tonight, then you are constantly living under the pressure of the culture to 
um, defame the gospel, to ignore the gospel, to reject the gospel, and within the church to compromise the gospel. And the greatest attack today is not outside the church. The greatest attack today is inside the church. As a redefining Christianity, redefining the church, and redefining what a Christian is. And we are culturalizing the gospel, so what people are saying yes to is not really the gospel. It's a very comfortable, very nice, sanitized group of people that the buzzwords are community, accepting one another, not judging one another. And although every one of those terms and many others are biblically accurate, if we define them according to the gospel and the scriptures, but not according to culture. So whatever you hear, you must judge to the scriptures. Is it a true definition of what is coming forth? Paul here realized that the gospel is, is not religion. Um, in Paul's days, it was all kinds of religions. You look to today, you have so many religions, so many philosophies. People always say, so you're saying to me that all the philosophies and all the religions are wrong? Yes. Well, you bigot. You judgmental prude. Really? In one sweep of one statement, Jesus destroyed every culture, every religion, every philosophy. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father by me. And he didn't apologize for it. In that one statement, he made the straight so narrow, so limited, that if you dare to make it any broader, you're an enemy of God. You see, the gospel did not come to make you comfortable. The gospel wasn't given to tell you how good a person you are. The gospel was given to let you know how bad you are and what a bad shape you're in and how desperate you need Jesus Christ. That's the good news. <laughs> That's what gospel means, good news. You see, if you're running around with people who say they're your friends, but... um. They're always telling you what a neat person you are. Go get some real friends. A real friend will tell you who you are. Because they love you. Now most of you are young enough not to be parents yet. But when you're a parent, you know, your kids are going to think that you're the worst parent in the world. They, my dad, my mom, they hate me. They always put these rules over me, these limitations on me, and they always try to, you know, make my life terrible. No, they tell you the truth, and you don't like the truth. Welcome to America. Entitled. Deceived. There's heavy consequences for such a deception. That means you don't deal with reality. That means you believe the lie rather than the truth. Any of us who have lived long enough, and you really don't have to live that long today if you're a young person. I grew up in the 60s. It really wasn't that long ago. I thought the 60s were bad. It's always a terrible thing for me to say, thank God I grew up in the 60s. But I'm glad I did. Because today is a lot worse. 
But see, sin is always progressive. But that progressiveness is always downward, never upward. Satan and the world and sin <clears throat> will always promise you much more than they will deliver. Always. Because that's, that's the cheese in the rat trap. The cheese in the rat trap is saying, I think you can get away with it. I, I think you're fast enough to get that little piece of cheese and mock at that trap when it comes down. But what do you think the average is for those rats that lose their head? This is exactly Satan. He magnifies the benefit. He minimizes the consequences all the time. He said to Eve, Ah, has God said, you're not going to die. He just knows the day that you partake. You're going to be just like him. He's keeping you back from your potential. Deception. Colored glasses. So when you hear the gospel, it's not religion. It's not through rules, regulations, or something that's going to make you worthy of God. And this gospel proclamation is about the gospel of Christ, Messiah. It's a title. The anointed of God, the one that was sent to this world to die for our sins. The one who became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You see, every uh, Hebrew understood when he went in the temple and he took an animal. That animal had to be observed and examined by the priest and that had to have no blemish, no spot, nothing on it. And, um, and then he would present it before the priest and bring it and tie it to a pole and that individual would take that animal's head and pull it back and he would cut the throat of that animal. And that blood would go everywhere. That animal would hit the ground and he was to look down on that animal all bloodied and dead. He was just alive a second ago. And he was to realize that animal took my place. I belong there because sin kills. The majority of you have lived long enough to know how much sin kills. How much it destroys. It destroys innocence. It destroys conscience. It destroys lives. But the world tells you it's all right. You know, we have foolish sayings like, whatever don't uh, kill you only makes you stronger. Pain is only weakness leaving the body. We see all these neat things and everything, but it's stupid. <laughs> But we, took, we take stupid and we glory in it. And we boast in it. Which demonstrates our deception. And it's no different in the church. With people who call themselves Christians today. Because Christianity has been redefined. The Christian has been redefined. The church has been redefined. You see, the majority of churches... They don't have sermons. They have talks. They dialogue. They don't say, hey, you want to go to church? They say, uh, we have two campuses, three campuses. It's all emergent language. A redefinition. Of the major teachers, Rick Warren and Driscoll and all these guys. 
So are, are we going to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, or are we going to believe men who are popular and famous and wealthy beyond their means? Who are we going to believe? That will determine where you spend eternity. God doesn't decide where you spend eternity. You do. And it's all based if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that Paul's background was incredible. He was a, an incredible student. He was uh, raised at the feet of Gamaliel. The only complaint Gamaliel had against Paul is he couldn't find enough books to keep him busy. And yet when Paul came to Christ, he says, I count all those things that I accomplished as a pile of manure compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, our flesh and the world always wants to boast in ourselves and what we've accomplished, how smart I am, and what I've done, what I've accomplished. But none of that can save me. None of that can forgive me. None of that will show me who I am. A good illustration is you young ladies. You know, before you came here, you got in front of the mirror. Make sure you're okay. You ladies love mirrors. Before you leave, you spend all kinds of time in the mirror. Now that mirror says, listen, this is out. You don't, you, which one of you ladies ever said, you're a lion mirror? Your mirror is the most truthful thing, and you don't complain. You're glad that your mirror revealed the flaws, so you can fix it before you go out. And just before you got out of the car, you looked in the mirror one more time to make sure everything's okay. This is the gospel. If you dare to look in the gospel, it will show you just how lost, how blind, and how evil your heart is. It tells you the truth. It doesn't lie to you. Men lie to you. Because they have an agenda. It's not your good. It's their good and mine. Jesus told everybody the truth all the time. But notice, secondly, there at the rest of 16, is Paul's confidence in the gospel is that it is powerful. So it's not only good news to tell you who you are and how bad off you are and how much help you need. But the power to do something about it. You can, um, if you made some mistakes, you... If you analyze your life and you make some clear values and changes, you can turn around. And you can better yourself in society. You can move on and have a job and, you know, be a respectful adult and, and citizen and all that. But none of that, none of that can ever touch your destiny in eternity for the good. God will never say, well, you know, you really did a good job down there. I'm proud of you. You know, you used to take drugs and, man, you kicked it and, you know, a lot of them didn't. So, come on in. That, that's not the criteria. That's not the standard. The only standard that the Father accepts is the one that he signed in blood. The death and resurrection of my son. Where he became sin for you, where he paid the price, where I poured my wrath upon him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Psalm 22 says in verse 3, because you are holy. 
And God cannot look upon sin and say, well, it's okay, I like you. Oh, it's okay, everybody makes mistakes. No, God is the epitome of holiness and he has to judge all sin. He judged his son instead of you, instead of me. That wrath belonged on me. And so that's the only way that God allows anybody to be forgiven, to be saved, and to have entrance into the kingdom of God. The word for power, there is dunamis. We get our word dynamite, dynamic from it. But the power and what it has power towards is the important content. It's the salvation of those who are lost. Those who are enemies against God. Those who are in this fallen state, all of us, you, I, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be perfect. You're going to miss the mark. You're gonna, that's where the word sinner comes from, missing the mark. You know, when I go shooting, I don't aim at the outer circle. I aim at the bullseye. Doesn't mean I hit it every time, but I aim at the bullseye. Well, man can aim for heaven, but he'll never make it because he falls short. He has to rely on Jesus Christ. He is the bullseye. If you are aiming anywhere else apart from Jesus Christ, you're aiming at the wrong target. And no matter how accurate you think you are, how right you think you are, or how good you think you are, you will not hit the bullseye. It's impossible. The interesting thing is that whoever believes, no one's excluded. God being the epitome of holiness and we being the epitome of sinfulness, yet God made that provision through that bridge. That if we come through the provisions of Jesus Christ, then we can be accepted by God. So it's called faith. And faith is the revelation of God. So it isn't a feeling, it isn't an emotion, it isn't something that if I meditate or think on hard enough that I can make it come to pass. Faith for it to be biblical must lead me back to the revelation of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That, if I believe that, my faith is biblical. I believe that I'm a sinner Lost, Christ died in my place, and that he paid the price for my sin. If I believe that, then I can ask God to forgive me, and he will, and he will save me. It has nothing to do with my emotions, nothing to do with my feelings, nothing to do with what I can do. It's everything what God did for me through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news, see? The flip side of it. First, he must tell you how bad you are, so then he can tell you how much he wants to do for you. So the gospel is not what you can do for God. The gospel is what God has done for you. Too often, preachers and teachers are telling you what they want you to do for the church, because for their benefit, they're building their kingdom. God has done it all for you. It's whether you believe the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if you are believing the gospel, then you are actively stepping into biblical faith. And it's the Holy Spirit of God who turns on that life for you to be able to see those conditions and that promise. But he doesn't make the decision for you. You must make that decision. 
Because if God made it for you, then it wouldn't be a gift to you. He would be imposing it upon you. What makes a gift a gift is if somebody gives it to you and you know that you probably don't deserve it and you receive it. Nobody forces a gift on you. If they try, you feel like repelling it, rejecting it. But he gives you an offer and the Holy Spirit makes it alive so that you can see exactly your condition. But you must make that decision because God has created you with a free will. You see, if God forced you to go to heaven, you'd complain about it. You know, everybody in hell tonight, not one of them, is saying, it's God's fault that I'm here. Every person in hell right now knows exactly they deserve hell. Every person in hell right now believes who Jesus is and what he did, but it's too late. The decision you make must be made before you leave here, before you give up your last breath, not afterwards. Anybody that promises you salvation after death is a liar and a deceiver. You would have a better chance just going up on high season to Mount Mammoth to ski without making reservations. <laughs> Who would dare to do that? Then how dare we to think that we can live the way we want to and that we're going to get to heaven? Impossible. Unbiblical. And so the proclamation is to the Jew and the Gentile. The Jew first in terms of time because he was sent to his own. The Gentile in terms of the age of grace. Jew and Gentile one. But they were always included from the beginning in Genesis 12.3. And you shall all the families of the earth be blessed, Abraham. But he dealt with the Old Testament to build a nation. Then he dealt with the New Testament to incorporate both one. Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus. No one can boast. No law rules us anymore. But the new birth and the new nature that he gives to us as we become Christians. And the word becomes alive. This is what he promises to us. But notice in 17, he gives you the commentary on the gospel. And it is that it is reliable. See, a lot of people will offer you a lot of things. You've got all kinds of advertisement today. You know, oh, we'll do this. We'll put windows in. We wouldn't break a potato chip, you know, or whatever. And we'll tell you, you know, we'll leave it cleaner than when we first came in or whatever it is, okay? But no matter what they guarantee, you're not going to be happy. Guaranteed. The gospel, what it promises, it is reliable. God cannot lie. Now, you and I are liars. Sometimes we lie without knowing it. Sometimes we tell half-truths. Sometimes we change the truth. Sometimes we just don't tell the truth and just don't say anything. This way we think we're innocent, but we're not. God cannot lie. So when he declares the gospel, he's, allow he's allowing us to receive a, a message that is totally reliable. It reveals the righteousness of God. That right standing that is necessary to merit the presence of God. And it is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's by faith to faith. He's quoting again Old Testament. Not New Testament. He's quoting the Old Testament Habakkuk 2.4. You know, remember Habakkuk, he had a problem with God. 
because he was complaining to God. He says, God, what are you doing? You know, I mean, look at all the evil and everything else. What's going on? This and that. You don't show me. I'm your prophet. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you. He says, you know, Habakkuk, if I told you what I was going to do, you would not believe it. Lord, I'm your prophet. Okay, I'm going to take Babylon, that evil nation, and I'm going to judge Israel. I can't believe it, I told you. Because they were his people, they had the greater responsibility. To those who much is given, much more is required. So God would judge his people through a more evil nation. Americans always think, ah, God would never use Russia or China to judge us. Really? Can I have that in writing? 57 million babies we've killed. Our enemies have not killed that many in war against us. We've killed our own children in abortion. Do you think God's supposed to wink at this? Of course not. Now society says it's legal. But what's legal doesn't make it moral. Lawyers and laws say a lot of things are legal. But as a Christian, that doesn't make it right or moral to me. It may be legal, but it's not ethical or moral to me. And so my standard is the word of God. So your measure has to be to God's word. If you measure yourself against others, you're going to pick someone worse than you. So this way you can come looking not better. I'm no fool. I want to pick someone worse, not someone better. But the measure is God. The gospel received by faith, not by works, not by anything else, but by faith. So, the question to you tonight is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? God who became man, who took your place on the cross, died for your sins, paid the price for your sin, rose from the dead, returned back to the Father, sits at the right hand of the Father... And he's ready to make intercession for you if you call upon his name to forgive you of your sins and to make a new creation out of you and to bury your sins in the deepest ocean to put him as far as east as the west and put him behind his back. That's the question that God asks you tonight. And if you believe he can do that, then he says, you can come and be saved. But he will not force you once again. You make that decision. The longer we wait, the more callous we become. The longer we wait, the more deception overtakes us. The more we think that, well, tomorrow when I get ready. No, you may not be here tomorrow. Tomorrow's promise to nobody. You know, healthy people die every day. Young people die every day. This is not a scare tactic for you. You have all the right to go to hell. But you don't have to go there. You can go to heaven. And you're the one that makes that choice, ladies and gentlemen. And your professors and your friends and the people who are pushing the culture are not going to be standing before God with you to help you. You will be there all by yourself. That's a horrible, horrible thought. That I would have to give an account for all my sins that I did. I wouldn't be able to bear it. But to know that Jesus Christ forgave me for all my sins when I came to him when I was 23 years old. And that he made me new and transformed my life. Wow. 
That's grace, unmerited favor, undeserved. It's not free. He paid the price. All this propaganda today, free college, free this, free that. Somebody's smoking something. (laughs) Nothing's free. Salvation was not free. Somebody has to pay for whatever you get. God the Father paid the price. He crucified the Son for you and for me. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you so much, He's willing to tell you how bad you are and what a bad shape you're in. And if you will look in that mirror, He will reveal it to you with the greatest compassion because He knows He's the only one that can turn you around. But He will not force you. You must bow your knee to Jesus Christ by faith. And then he will honor that faith. Because he honors his word above his name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love, your goodness. Lord, I just pray for every person here tonight, Lord. Pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to those who do not know you. The Lord, they would call on your name to be saved. Father, for others that perhaps call themselves Christians, but they have a wrong understanding of the gospel and the Christian, the church. You would deal their hearts, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for just tonight. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sin. But once again, he will not force you. He'll knock on the door of your heart, but that handles from the inside. You must open it up to let him in. And if you do, he says he'll forgive you. He'll give you a new heart, give you a new life, a new nature. And he'll begin to teach you on how to live life. He'll show you very clearly there's rights and there's wrongs. There's things you you must make judgments about and call them good or evil. You must run your life according to the word of God, not the culture. If this is your decision, that you believe Jesus died for your sins, paid that price and rose from the dead, right where you sit right now, I'm not going to ask you to get up. This is between you and God. You can walk up here and everybody clap and walk out here as lost as you walked up if you mean it then he's going to save you right where you're sitting and he's going to forgive you of all your sins and you'll never be the same I guarantee you so this is your prayer to the Lord Jesus to forgive you and to save you to pray repentance Father I come to you in Jesus name I ask you to forgive me Lord For all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.